0: Welcome back to CCL's podcast, Lead With That, where we talk current events in pop culture to look at where leadership is happening and what's happening with leadership. I'm not sure if you know this, but family is a bit of a dirty word these days. Well, in the corporate context, at least, and and maybe for some of us as the holidays approach in the family context, too. But anyway, uh, as Netflix tells us, uh, we model ourselves on being a professional sports team, not a family. A family is about unconditional love. A dream team is about pushing yourself to be the best possible teammate, caring intensely about your team, and knowing that you may not be on the team forever. Thanks for the copy, Netflix. So, in today's episode, we're going to talk family versus team, and which one might be best. When we think about the traditional family structure, we often associate it with love and loyalty and long-term commitment. But how does this compare to the team dynamic? Teams are known for their agility, diversity, and adaptability. Which approach is more effective in today's America when it comes to leadership and building a strong, cohesive, and high-performing workforce? Are either of them appropriate even? Nothing like the threat of being off the team forever as a motivating factor. Either way, we'll talk about leadership's role in creating these structures, look at some of the payoffs, some of the payouts maybe, and see how you can create the culture you need most. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Ren Washington, and as usual, joined with Allison Barr. Allison, best team you've ever been a part of.
1: The best work team that I've ever been a part of was when I was in getting my first graduate degree and working retail. And uh, my boss was named Ellen, last initial G, because I had a couple Ellens as bosses. So Ellen, if you were listening, best team, best team I was on.
0: And that team, even better than any other team you've ever been on in your life, because you said best work team.
1: Well, I mean, we could talk about when I was in sixth grade playing soccer, and my soccer coach coach gave us Kit Kats after the game. <laughs> that was certainly so. Just
0: chocolate bribery really boosts the Brett best. Oh yeah. yeah,
1: you you do well, you get a Kit Kat. That was enough for me.
0: Well, I mean, I think that might already be a worthy conversation of which one would you pick: sixth grade Kit Kat chocolate bar soccer team, or L and G for Gangsters retail team?
1: It depends. I mean, context, right? I have to uh, make a living, right? So I don't think I'm good enough to make a living as a soccer player, unfortunately. Though, if I had, is that what you're asking? For a job?
0: No, I'm just, I'm trying to, yeah, well, I wonder. I mean, maybe you are talking about, because some of it's like, do I need to make a living in order for the team, in order for the team's greatness to be relevant? You know, I don't know. I guess I'm sort of probing the idea of, what are the structures that were the most effective for you inside of a team? Mm. Whether that team was personal, professional, sports, debate. Okay. Work.
1: I see where you're going with this.
0: So if you had to choose, if you had to had to choose, which one are you choosing? Which Allison was happier? <sighs> now that's too loaded. That's too loaded. Which team was better?
1: Probably the retail team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What made it better? Well, a lot. We had <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to say there. We had a really strong foundation of trust amongst us, and there were really clear expectations from the moment that I was hired, from the moment that I had my um, my onboarding, my very first meeting, expectations were laid out, not just around my job, but how the culture was there and what I could expect. So I think I think because the groundwork was laid so early and there was trust amongst us as a team that allowed us to handle obstacles in a, not only just an empowering way, but a way that allowed us to progress through them a lot faster than if we had not. And we had fun. We had a lot of fun. And I will say, when I was talking to you about the Kit Kat situation, Ellen also had a budget of staff rewards. And so, and it was not anything major. But here and there, we might get—I don't
0: know—larger Kit Kats. Larger Kit
1: Kats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We might. I think. I think once I got rewarded with a, um, a Starbucks gift card, which we've talked about Starbucks before, so I was happy about that. Um, but there, you know, there was motivation that was not simply targeted to making a financial goal. Hmm.
0: I appreciate that especially when we start to think about reward and incentive because i think that's a critical part of leading and leadership and work and work effectiveness but before we maybe continue to diverge i'm getting a sense of maybe the best teams you've been a part of uh best family you've been a part of
1: i'm just kidding
0: <laughs> uh but you know right uh but that does that brings me to the point of like oh what an interesting premise you know i see this post around next that's culture mm-hmm. and and we don't model ourselves after family i mean they put that like you you go on their culture page and you want a job at netflix that's it's not like the first thing they say but it's
1: it's about halfway Mm -hmm.
0: through after their values and things like that And it, it made me think yeah why you know is that better should we be calling our work groups families and i was like should we model ourselves after a group of dysfunctional people like our families or like my family i can only own my own experiences but I mean, what do you think? Family, team, had you ever even considered? Did you resent being part of a family? Where do you fall on this?
1: Well, I think companies and employees who say, we're like a family here, are well-intended. I think they're well-intended. And they're trying to send the message that they have a supportive, accepting environment, much like a family should behave <laughs> But some translate that to be a metaphor for the most dysfunctional parts that can come in family units. Not all the time, but often what that metaphor means is a lack of boundaries, expecting unconditional acceptance despite maybe maybe even abusive behavior, and forced prioritization with punishment for not doing so, um, punishment for not putting the quote-unquote the family, the work family first. And so I saw an interview with the former CEO of Netflix who said, and you've alluded to this already, families about unconditional love despite, say, your sibling's bad behavior, for example. A dream team is about pushing yourself to be the best teammate you can be, caring intensely about your teammates, and knowing, you already said this, that you might not be on the team forever. And I interpret that last part, by the way, as for a variety of reasons. Sometimes people choose not to be part of the team or they get promoted. It doesn't have to be a negative. By the way, we'll probably get into this as well, but Hastings had um, he had an 87% approval rating from his employees, according to Glassdoor, which is astronomically high. I think the norm is somewhere around 35, 36, something like that. So he was doing something right. But you asked about where do I fall, team, family, I don't know that I really care. But I under but I understand why people get turned off by companies saying we're like a family here. What about you?
0: Yeah. I mean, I wasn't laughing at you. I think that's funny and there's the nihilist in me is like, yeah, who who gives a shit? I mean, it's cuz I'm here to do work mm-hmm. though. But I think, you know, you and I probably have a unique like, individual drive that moves us through environments. That would be my read of Whoa. you. But I do pause and I wonder, you know, because when you start talking about the dysfunctions of a family, I'd say, yeah, those are the dysfunctions of all families. Like, I think you can love a family member unconditionally and hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. And I think sports teams, you know, I think about Ted Lasso or John Wooden even. I think real coaches who understand that our sports, especially college coaches or high school coaches, when an athlete comes through a system for four years, it is not the best coaches in the world realize that. The winning and losing is a finite experience, mm-hmm. but the kids there are, you know, you're forging life. So you can love a student unconditionally, love them as a person, and expect more from them as an athlete and not necessarily start them. So, you know, if I wanted to push back on the what I would consider some of the arbitrary borders that this family versus team dynamic puts forward, I probably could. I wish you were to pick a side because then we could debate. I don't know. I like the familial nature of, of an organization. But you know what I love most about a team? The family nature of it, yeah. too. And so when I think about some of the best teams, whether they be family or teams I've been a part of, there was this unity, this um, we are bound by a seal, or I identify with my team or my team members or we're here to do something together. And those are the things where maybe I fall down like, yeah, I I don't know if I really care, but I wonder how I could tap into the benefits of both of them.
1: Yeah, and that was something I was going to ask you too, is how can we have both? And I think what we've seen in the research and what CCL's research posits too, is that some of the most necessary leadership skills right now are empathy, compassion, emotional intelligence, and also agility drive for results. So it's not overt in what Netflix says, but what I hear when people have these conversations is that family feels too emotional and that team perhaps feels more drive, drive, drive for results when we're at work and our goal is to drive for results. I would argue that's not necessarily true, but I th- that's, I think what people hear when they're debating those two sides. And you need both. Um, let us not forget that we work with human beings. Right. And when you just mentioned, um, being unified when I was working retail, I mean, I was selling clothing right at the, at the bottom line, I was selling clothing. However, we had so much fun as that team. And like I said, we were able to come in every day and know that we did have a financial target to meet but there was a certain level of support that we gave one another to achieve that target celebrations when we did make it. And if we didn't make it conversation pretty immediately about what we could have done differently. So yeah, at the end of the day, I was selling clothes to people, but we were unified in our approach and what we were trying to do together. And some people might gasp at this, but some of my lifelong friends I met working that job so there's a, there's another argument that's I don't go to work to make friends I go to work to do my job, that's fine. But some of us also make friends.
0: Well, it's interesting when we talk about commitment in our leadership framework, direction, alignment, commitment. Commitment is not just committed to me or committed to finishing the job. It's committed to each other, mm-hmm. our shared success. And you know, it'd be interesting that did the work contribute to your long term friendships? You know, you talk about lifelong friends. Was that because? you all just happened to vibe or did you, were you forged in the fire of retail, which is like something that we could chuckle at, but for real, I mean, anyone who's ever done that knows, uh, I don't know, like, what would you say to that?
1: So is the question why we became friends? Did have more to?
0: Yeah, like did work contributed to it or because as we explore this environment and you think about, and I mentioned this idea of team environment mm, or family, okay. either way I felt best when I was unified And you said, yeah, you know what, me too, especially here in this team. And I met some friends. So was it like, did the familial environment contribute to the long-term friendships or was it this hard driving team environment or was it this third unnamed part of the equation?
1: I think it was the third unnamed, but probably includes both of those things. Excuse me. Sure. Yeah. The culture there. I think it was the culture. We were taught how to have difficult conversations from the get go, and there was an expectation that we would have difficult conversations. That that was expected of us. It didn't mean that we couldn't ask for support, but asking for support meant that you were looking for, um, you know, for some sort of remedy, not to complain. And so the culture, also, I th- I think this is my opinion, led them to hire people who had similar interests, and so. After work, for example, some of us might go to a yoga class or we might go um, hiking. There are things that we all had in common in terms of interests that I think enabled us to nourish those friendships. And so so what I'm getting at, though, with the difficult conversations and the feedback and all of that type of thing is that our workplace relationships were so strong. And that's when you think about friendships and family, ultimately you think about having really strong relationships that doesn't always happen. It often does not happen at the workplace. So I think it was the culture that really naturally allowed for friendships to unfold.
0: Yeah, really strong relationships. I wonder, I, 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 as we're exploring the different characteristics of family or team or any of these things, just as we talk, I keep on mapping on so is that exclusive for a family, or is that exclusive for a team, mm. or or is that accessible if you're on one or the other? And the really strong relationships thing is interesting, because I think in a dysfunctional family, there's no guarantee you're going to have really strong relationships. And then I wonder, oh, but then maybe is a strong relationship necessary for the success of a family? I don't know. It depends on what the goal of the family is. Then I transfer the same into the work environment, are strong relationships necessary for the success of a work environment? I guess it depends on what the work is trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think of the first thing that you said, maybe a question or two ago, like people feel like the family words is maybe too personal. And so we're shifting to a more of a team driven language, but I would say culturally now people engaging in work are more mushy than ever before. Like, why is empathy in these things the driving force behind work when before 10 years ago was, you know, not 10 years ago, even like maybe 40 years ago, time is so weird. 40, 50 years ago, we work you until we kill you. Even some right now organizations believe in this extraction capitalism. But so we're shifting the void, like managers should care about each other and we should care about people. And But don't use the word family because families are Really screwed up. So we don't want to do that. It's just really interesting to think that there'd be such a pushback. And maybe there's not such a pushback. But I've heard this kind of like dedication and family. Don't let someone someone use the guise of family to suck the loyalty out of you.
1: Yeah. A couple of things came up when you were talking. I think people hear it as a manipulation. Um, Yeah. And for whatever reason, that's what they hear. So, and I mean, no one's saying that you can't say it. Go ahead and say it. Right. Go ahead and say it. Um, And I wonder too, if you and I, when you were talking about um, people are, you said mushy, mushier than ever. Sometimes (laughs) I wonder if um, in our line of work, we get into a bit of an echo chamber because we initiate those types of conversations and we create the type of environment and the type of space where people can talk about what's really going on with them. But I don't know that that is culturally common at the workplace. I think we create a, an environment for people, thankfully, to be able to do that.
0: Well, maybe Mushy was too productive, uh, a slight marginalization or minimization of the experience. But I, I would say, like maybe the from a lens of um, a Boomer or even a Gen Xer, like this, the the pushback of this everyone gets a trophy kind of vibe.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you're right. I, and like, I'm so I, glad to bring this up. Keep going.
0: As the pendulum swings, yeah, and you could look into this environment saying, well, people come to work now and they want more than a paycheck. And if that's the case, maybe some of them even come into work saying, hey, I want to build relationships that matter. I, I don't know if people are saying that, but maybe they do. I could imagine someone looking at that from the outside and saying, well, that that seems like family then is your jam. So what's the problem? And so I, I, I don't know. But why are you so glad that I'm bringing up this idea of, Get off my lawn. Get off my Tell lawn. Tell me more.
1: Well, <laughs> because there are... Um, a McKinsey study came out very recently. This is this year. And across four generations... So for the first time in contemporary history, there's four generations at the workplace, right? And across all four yeah. of those generations, the top five reasons for uh, an employee to 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 leave an, an employer were the same. So this notion that generations want different things from their employee is not true. And anytime that hey. I hear somebody say, I know you said it in jest, but people do say it very seriously. Anytime I hear someone say, oh, you know, millennials want a participation trophy or boomers are out of touch. My question is, how do you know that? What What's the data that led you to that belief? Because if you're just parroting what you heard from a headline, you're doing more harm than good. So the top reasons for people leaving an employee And again, this is across generations are inadequate compensation, uncaring leaders. So that goes into what we're talking about, unsustainable work expectations, lack of career development, and lack of meaning in their work. And that's across generations, which is not what we're talking about today. But I thought I would bring bring that into the conversation just for anyone who's curious. So
0: it'd be interesting to see like, uh, now I'm just going to play the role of a boomer here while i may while someone i know may have quit no one quit and so maybe one person quit and when they did quit it's because the job didn't pay enough or they hated their boss but most of us just expected to work in misery mm. especially with my hard puritanical upbringing sorry to get political and religious but like i wonder then if there's not something because that's a really interesting fast i go okay cool i've never i hadn't heard the stat around everyone leaving for the same reasons and when i hear those reasons like okay cool that makes sense money i don't like my boss i don't make sense of meaning and i don't know we don't have the numbers but i wondered if it was like well fine some people quit but usually there were a lot more people living in misery and maybe i'm thinking the conversation is shifting to well don't live in misery anymore and maybe that's why people don't want to use the word family because families are miserable
1: well (laughs) um back to what you said (laughs) role-playing you know, I went to work every day. I'm, I'm paraphrasing <laughs> what he said. I I, I it up. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Two things can be true at the at the same time. Okay, yeah, I that's great. And a lot of people don't want to, and so they're pushing back. And that's that's it. You know, I'm I'm sorry that you experienced that. And the masses don't want to do that. So,
0: well, I mean, this is a useful transition. Speaking of the masses, and then listener as a leader or all of you listening engage in the active process of leadership, which is getting stuff done together. Maybe we say, well, how do I shift then the narrative? I'm a leader. I'm a mid middle manager. How do I lead from an organizational standpoint or from my teams? If there's, I'm in a family structure or a team structure, or, you know, what do the people want and how can I give them what's required?
1: Well, I'll be curious to hear what you have to say too. I just shared with you some research about what people do want. So there's that, right? A middle manager can't necessarily control compensation. Um, Some -hmm. of them can, but a lot of them can't. However, they can, for the most part, manage inspiring people. They can manage career development to an extent. Um, That was one thing also that Ellen did really well was give us opportunities for growth constantly. It was constant Um, And they can control having a type of environment where people aren't working seven days a week. Assuming they were hired to work a traditional 40-hour work week, right? So they can control some of those things. And, you know, for a leader to be inspirational is a a bit tricky because that's going to be different for everybody. But, I mean, there's research out there and it's pretty tangible, what do you think
0: for, for being inspirational or just what it means? Like what people want, for out what of work. people
1: want out of work. But, I think honestly, yeah. Ren, I think sometimes we overthink things and like make these huge statements or huge stories that then become contagious all over organizational development. And then in LinkedIn and then in the workspaces and it just starts to domino where maybe not that many people are actually that unhappy.
0: Hmm, well, wow, that's interesting. You
1: know, you have to look at your company's I don't turnover. I know. I'd like... Sorry, go
0: ahead. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, I was like, I just got real meta when you said so <laughs> maybe people aren't really happy. I was like, we should look at pharmaceutical sales on anxiety meds
1: at work. Talk I about mean, how
0: happy people really work. are. I at mean, work. Sh- I, mean. yeah, sh- I guess they're not, hopefully, they're not purchasing their anxiety meds at work. <laughs> I, I would agree with you. Uh, you know, I think you're, there's something you said that really resonates. I think we overcomplicate things. And something you said around your two the greatest teams you've ever been a part of, whether it was Ellen or soccer, was like expectation, clear expectation. And here's something that I know is true for humanity. Suffering comes from expectation.
1: Say more about that.
0: You want to be happy? Well, if, if any of you want to be happier in your relationships, your personal relationships, have less expectation of the shoulds and the oughts. Pain comes from what we think should be or ought to be and i often ask leaders or ask anyone who said that's supposed to be that way you know who so often i think we are over index on the things we are told is supposed to be the case and then that continues to echo through each other so you and i could talk much longer yes, about maybe humanity and expectation <laughs> and suffering But for the teams, it's an interesting paradigm because I I say, like, teams revel and succeed with expectation. Mm -hmm. And I would say the best teams have boundaries for their expectations. Like, one team would say, I would expect you to try your hardest and learn from every opportunity. That's different than I expect you to never lose. And so I think there, when I use the word expectation, what I mean is that it helps for people to understand what's expected of them and if what's expected of them isn't bound by like over rigid criteria like meet these sales targets then you're accepted even though i understand that there's an environment for the necessity of those things instead maybe the expectation is you are expected to be your best self here and then we take the ups and the downs as we go recognizing that you are not your wins. You are not your losses. You are the work.
1: That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I think there's inter interrelational expectation and that's where pain can come. And then there's job expectation. And that sounded like you need to be on time. If you're scheduled to start at 10 a.m., whatever that means for you, you need to be on the sales floor at 10 a.m. If that means you need to get here 10 minutes early to like, you know, settle and whatnot, so I mean, very specific, it's almost norms, um, is, is more what I mean. Um, but I, I remember being hired for a job after that and not having that same expectation conversation. And I just eventually just, I asked in my onboarding meeting, but it was unbelievable to me that I was not told what time we start in the day how many vacation days I had. It was sort of unbelievable to me that that was not provided to me from the get-go.
0: Why didn't they do that? Why didn't, did they I just asked.
1: So I, I didn't just, ask why I didn't ask why they didn't tell me that. I ugh. just, I just asked them because I realized we weren't going to talk about that. And we had our first onboarding meeting and I didn't even know what time I was supposed to show up for work. So
0: is, was it a kind of culture where you could just come in? Like, whenever, no, or? no, no. <laughs> okay, that's super Absolutely. weird then, right? That sounds like a um, a failure of work right there. That's like a right negligence of duty. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. But,
1: but my point is, is though those interrelational, I think, expectations that that can cause some misery. You're right. If I expect you to treat me in a certain way, or I expect, like in families, sometimes we ex- families can ex- expect unconditional acceptance, and that's not that's not usually how it goes.
0: That's a bummer, cause it should. And I agree with you. If only, if only that was the environment. And you know, not to get too heady about it, but it's this interesting. Concept. I was listening to some music the other day, and this artist was talking about, you know, find someone who loves you for you. You know, she loves me for me. And I thought, what an interesting idea. How many of our relationships, when we look at each other, and we're like, I love you for the person you are, or do I love you for the person who you could be? All right, I love you for the person that I you told me you were going to be. You know, and and and. So same thing in the context of work environment, I really in the personal environment, I was like, it doesn't really matter if you love me for me. Do I love me for me? And what the relevant conversation for work then is as you create your own value or your sense of value, when you are either a leader or maybe like you said, a mid-level, mid-level manager who can't like pay for compensation. But helps people qualify and define their own value, helps people qualify and define the pride in themselves and love for themselves and appreciation for their own efforts. I think in a family or in a team, these are the conversations that when we lose, we can look at each other and say, dust it off, man. We're going to lose again. And when we win, we go, congratulations. Also, (laughs) need I remind you of the loss? Right. So we'll win again too, but let's just keep undoing the environment where we are proud of ourselves or we are proud of for what we're doing or how we're doing it or why mm-hmm. we're doing it, which comes back, I think, to that connection the I said earlier.
1: Yeah, and it connects as well to what people want out of work, one of which was meaning. And I think there's something really admirable about trying to create a workplace culture that's nurturing and compassionate. And like you said earlier, like there's got, there has to be a way to blend. I don't know that it's necessarily a polarity to have a nurturing and compassionate environment with a drive for results type of environment. I think you do need both. Agreed. However, what Netflix brought to the table culturally was really or is and was really interesting because Hastings believed in a culture of transparency, which we, you and I both know is really crucial in leadership. They also prioritized their people by giving them freedom and autonomy, but also responsibility, clarity on responsibility. And they also believed that paying the highest salary possible was better, a better retention plan and better motivation than paying an average salary with bonuses, which I know some people will... You know, people who uh, are responsible for deciding on salaries, that might blow some minds a bit, but that that's their strategy. So I do think it's both. And when it comes down to it, it is, it is culture and culture can be complicated. We probably don't have time for that today, but it is. It is what is the culture you're creating on your team? By the way, you can create a culture within your team that is different from the organization's culture. And I'm sure, Ren, that you know the cliche. Actually, I've heard you say it before in programs that cult culture eats <laughs> strategy for breakfast, and there's something to think about there too.
0: I resemble the implication of cliche usage. <laughs> I, I think, I love the notion of the polarity. Like it's not an either or. You can be absolutely high That's performing it. and compassionate. I, I, and again, I, I, I grew up in the sports world, and leadership looked like, like, um. William Wallace, you know, like Braveheart. <laughs> yes. It was the, uh, I mean, coach standing up in front of the group, charging up their warriors to go out there and kick a ball or tackle somebody or, you know, in this. And that's a, such an interesting translation. And then I have a military father. So another kind of real command and control, standing in front of your troops, rallying them to a particular target. And, and this idea of how we focus our energies. Um, When we think about the culture that we can create around us or the team members that we want to be a part of, I think that kind of structure that I came up with where there's there's no crying in baseball is like such an interesting limiting paradigm. When I think whether we're using a family or a team framework, don't be reduced by your language because everything that we're talking about, it's like the highest performing whatever's just create a family that has those things, create a team that has those things. None of these things are restricted to the environment. I wonder if we could, or even if we would have had time to explore, Like, what is something that's solely for a family and not for a team? I think you alluded to something earlier. I can't remember it, but I wonder. What would be something that's just restricted for either one of the two places?
1: Well, families aren't trying to maximize. Well, let me start over. Okay. Because this... What I was going, I'm going to say it. What I was going to say is that families aren't necessarily trying to maximize capital, though somebody out there would that up, was the thing that I thought you said. Somebody might argue me on that. Yeah. And I'm not talking about families that have businesses. I just mean families that opt, just your family. You go home for Thanksgiving, or you go home to celebrate a birthday, or you have a family reunion or something. When you're all together, you're not trying to to make a product, and you're not trying to gain a new customer
0: well so let's just stick with netflix just just because so and i'm sticking with the 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 pad the paragraph that I talk about family and teams <laughs> and dream teams are about performance not seniority so okay i guess there's like that performance metric that one could argue is reserved for a team now if i could frame that we often say in our classrooms too that performance is actually not just the results right winning as a team is results it's learning do you know how to do it better and it's satisfaction do i want to work with you again so i could be that person that you're talking about allison that in fact while a family may not push for capital gains they do work for results which is learning and satisfaction and families do and if you wanted to get i I would say so I i mean think about the best familial environments that you're ever in well, see, that's interesting. What do we want from family? Elaborate. I, yes. I want from family yeah, a, a, an environment full of support and love. It. And in that environment, I support people on their growth and opportunity to learn and try and learn new things. And I create an environment where we don't have to like each other all the time, but we do a pr- a respect, love each other. And so we want to continue the good work. Now, I could say that same language for a really effective team and feel good about it.
1: Sure. Sure. And I think it's complex. I think it's complex. Yeah, I, yeah, I I think it's too, uh, when we're talking about family, it's too nuanced depending on who you're talking to and their family dynamics. And some people don't have families, right? Some people have been excommunicated from their family or, you know, I, I just think I could go down a real rabbit hole here, but I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. Yes, you need all of those things to thrive. And maybe that's what we're talking about is thriving, thriving organizations, mm-hmm. what do you need to thrive. Ultimately, organizations have to make a profit for them to succeed, to, to exist even, to exist. They need customers and they need they need capital to be able to exist. So different than a family, right? But what you're saying is potentially how people thrive and you need to thrive at a workplace.
0: I, yeah, I appreciate your perspective, especially the idea of like the familial and it's super nuanced and loaded and family can be traumatic. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, have you been on teams that could cause as much pain and suffering? I like, I don't know. As a family? Probably not. <laughs> maybe maybe some of us have. Like, <laughs> write in, let us know. Uh, but then I'm thinking, okay, well, what is the next frontier, in know, Alice? Because I don't want to use either word, dang it. I want to do a new word here at at – at REN organization, we're not family, nor are we team. <laughs> we're at this other word. Is there a more appropriate word that I should start using at CCL when I'm emailing someone like, hey, team. That's what I say on my emails regularly. Hey, team. Is there a better encapsulation?
1: Well, that's what I say. Sometimes we overthink. And I don't mean me and you. I mean all of us, like inclusive yeah. of me and you. I think we overthink things sometimes. And it's my understanding that one of the reasons organizations began using that language of family was to, to drive recruitment So I, th- <laughs> and to create engagement and to create a reputation for their organization. So I don't know, to me, it does not matter. To me, it does not matter. Yeah. I understand why it does for people. I think the bottom line is that companies were using that language and then it stuck so that they could create a reputation for their company, that it was a culture of belonging, it was or it is a culture that's compassionate and welcoming and understanding and all of the things that you would assume come with a proper family. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the case, though. So when you call, when you call a workplace a team, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have all of the things that you mentioned. I, I, so that's why yeah. I say I don't know that it matters that much. I think what matters is if you are a leader... What kind of culture are you creating within your team? And Ren, you mentioned earlier about direction, alignment, commitment, and how leadership is a social process. Your organization and your team's culture is the way that things get done, the way that people interact, the way that people make decisions. Um, Leaders' own conscious and unconscious beliefs can drive the repeated behaviors that become the practices on a team we talk about this a lot but i think because those practices become then the patterns of the culture leaders have to understand what their responsibility is in creating a culture again i this is probably another podcast but
0: yeah especially when we start talking about the lived patterns and behaviors of people because psh, Great. Good luck for working mm-hmm. through the unconscious patterns right. of behaviors that echo through my existence as I lead humans, because I am a human. Right. I mean, that's that's the Rosetta Stone. Yeah, I, you know, I'm with you. It's like, does it really matter? I mean, especially family or team, does it matter when the world is burning? Who cares? Uh, but I think I whatever drives the motivation. You know, I think at its worst, people use a word for family to draw people into this idea of the, the, the perfect nuclear family with two and a half kids that's and it. a white picket fence, which was never really a real family anyway. And and maybe that's what people are kind of like the pent-up swinging back away from family. Like, don't even give me this, like, who's family? And what I, like what ideologies are we following here about or what a family needs to look like? And at the same time, you know what? I'm not here to demonize anything. I'm I like a familial vibe. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that I like about CCL that I would say, we're not like the Olympic dream team on basketball. You know, there's the the way leadership works, the way players interact with each other. It just looks different. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with it. But I think it comes down to, as you've said, and always our favorite consultant language, it depends. But maybe asking, like, what do your people need? Family, team, why do they need that thing? And then when you create a new word, Allison, or anybody, you just email me first. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, I can't help but ask you a probing question. I'm sorry. I know we're almost out of time, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I'm going to anyway. Let's do it. You said you like that CCL has a familiar familial vibe. What does that mean behaviorally?
0: What does that mean behaviorally and what do I mean about it? CCL was an organization that I think welcomed my humanity and the humanity of those around it in a way that I hadn't ever really seen or experienced. And I saw the space for people to be, and I guess maybe in the healthiest family, that kind of space for the humanity was, was, I think, representative. And We have like this, I'm not trying to air our dirty laundry, but who doesn't have dysfunction? We have Mm -hmm. dysfunction, but there's something charming about our dysfunction. Kind of like an uncle you really don't want to interact with, but sometimes you do. And sometimes he says something funny and they're like, okay, I get it. And so I think there's probably like the (laughs) glitz and the dark stuff that I think is really representative of the familial vibe.
1: Okay, you know I'm not gonna let you off the hook that easy. You <laughs> so you said a paraphrasing, they welcomed your humanity. Okay. That's very conceptual. What is that? How? How did they do that?
0: I, I guess there was some of what I said earlier around an expectation that I come <laughs> and do my best. <laughs> that there were enough that my personal success was a that aligned with the organization's success. And for me, that was resonant of my family experience and different from the high performance team experience where, again, because my high performance team wasn't at Netflix. It was on a football team. So I had a very unique role in a larger cast of players. And we were driven towards a particular goal. And there was no crying in baseball. And so I felt like there was this crying at CCL. And it's like almost part of the job. So maybe that's what I mean. And I think maybe the humanity of it, it's, it's amorphous. It's hard to nail. And that's maybe what I meant. Why familial? It's just, it's intangible.
1: Mm, yeah. I, I'm, I dig because somebody asked me recently, <clears throat> why is culture changed so hard? And it, it comes hey. back to what you just said and what you said a few moments ago, which is it, leaders are responsible for culture and culture is driven by our unconscious and conscious, but our. Our beliefs, and yeah. it is very uh, hard to find a leader who's willing to look at that kind of thing and really start to dissect what they are bringing to the table and creating. And it's—I want to validate too. It's really hard because it takes a certain level of self-awareness, but also a willingness to ask for that type of feedback. How am I showing up for others? Right? What am I creating here that's working? What am I not creating? Um, oftentimes there's a disconnect between senior leadership, their belief in what culture is and what the employees are experiencing, uh, because of that lack of awareness. So it can be very, very hard. So for the companies out there that are, it sounds like what you're saying to Ren is that you were welcomed as your, uh, dare I be cliche again, but as your whole self versus just somebody who's coming in to make a dollar for CCL.
0: Certainly felt that way.
1: Yeah. So if you were, it certainly felt that way. And I hope it still does. It does. Good. Good. So if you were going to leave leaders today with a tip, what would that be?
0: Hmm. You know, I I'm reminded of a you were talking about like that your whole self or, or that exploration of the unconscious and the conscious and reading a book by this author and she's got this premise around child raising and she's kind of has a sense that makes me chuckle you know ultimately you just got to get over your own stuff don't project your own stuff on your kids you know i'd say it jokingly because i'm like well winning solutions we got it uh so maybe it's uh, identify your own stuff if you know if family's a dirty word for you you need to suss that out (laughs) for your long-term satisfaction yes um if team is like uh too cold for you why and I think then using that as maybe like an open exploration for those other people around you to do the sense making. You know, you asking me what makes it familial? What are the behaviors? That's really, I don't know if I'd ever been asked to define the behaviors. They're pretty quick at hand, but I think it's useful to name our experiences as Brene would tell us in the Atlas of the Heart. The more we can name our experiences and label them, the more effectively we can navigate them. So. Just that, I guess, leaders, all of those things.
1: Just that. It's that easy. Yep. And I think from from more of an organizational lens, I would offer that the most mature and successful organizations, Netflix being one of them, operate with the belief that leadership is a collective activity. Those organizations that do so have a higher capacity to take creative action in the face of complexity, which Netflix certainly reflects. And- Right now, and for the past couple of years, we've been in what we would call a VUCA environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So now would be the time to really think about whether or not leadership is a collective activity at your organization. Again, that's probably another podcast at hand. However, one way that you can do that if you are a leader is to look at one piece of direction alignment and commitment, just one. you can look at how you're creating direction. How are you creating direction? Is it a shared exploration or is it dictated? What you're looking to do is create a shared exploration around what direction we're trying to take and an accept of acceptance of multiple perspectives, not necessarily dictating this is what we're doing, and I need you to be compliant. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that we could talk about here, Ren. and um, I appreciate the conversation. And as always, to our listeners, you can find all of our podcast episodes and our show notes on ccl.org. And a special thank you to Emily and Ryan, who work behind the scenes to get our podcast off the ground. Yeah. And we'll look forward to tuning in with you next time. Uh, I almost said team. I almost just said, we'll look forward to tuning (laughs) in with you next time. Find us on LinkedIn. Let us know what you want us to talk about next.
0: Thanks, Ren. Thanks, Allison. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye, Allison. On TikTok.